Hi, I'm Elise. I'm Matt, and welcome to Pod Wraiths, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. If this is your first time joining us, we're two friends watching Star Trek Deep Space Nine and sharing both our deep and irreverent thoughts on our favorite Star Trek series. This week, we're talking about Season 4, Episode 3, The Visitor, teleplay by Michael Taylor and directed by David Livingston. This episode aired on October 9th, 1995. This week on Deep Space Nine, we journey with Jake Sisko through the phases of his adulthood as he carries the grief from losing his father at age 18. However, a slim hope remains that Jake can bring his father back. So we haven't gotten a we hadn't gotten a letter in a while and we did get an email prior to the last episode we recorded but I forgot to include it. <laughs> so I'm excitedly uh, going to read it now. Basically, we have a listener named Lauren that has emailed a few times and I'm very excited about it because this is someone that we don't know in real life. <laughs> <laughs> and it just it makes me feel great. So let me let me read what Lauren has to share with us. This email is a little long. I have too much enthusiasm for the pod and Deep Space Nine. I doubt that that is true. Um, TLDR, I love your pod and Deep Space Nine, including Garishir. If you need a nerdy journalist to talk about Jake Sisko's parts later on, I'm here. <laughs> I watched Deep Space Nine for the first time last year and fell in love. I've been trying to get everyone in my life to watch it ever since. They haven't. I've been wanting to find people to discuss the show with, and I'm glad I found the pod rates. I love your podcast and how you're breaking it all down. Too many rewatch pods get lost in the plot, and I love how y'all discuss characters and themes, which is needed for Deep Space Nine. Uh, DS9 is truly an ensemble show to the fullest extent possible, including the world itself. Some of my favorite episodes are where the world around them is a character, like the aphasia virus or when the old Tarek Noor safety protocols get tripped. In the middle of my second watch, I'm in, sorry, I'm in the middle of my second watch, late season five, and only found your podcast last week, so I'm working on catching up. I just listened to the pod episode on season two, episode four, Invasive Procedures. I love that you're also discussing ships on the pod without any shame. I'm so into Garishir and forever furious that Rick Berman didn't let that be canon. It's literally right there. I'm also writing so many fanfics. I'm so excited for when I get to your discussion of The Wire. I hadn't seen Quoto as much, but at least highlighting their interactions is changing my mind a little. I'm going to get everyone to just be like Quoto shippers. <laughs> uh, there's definitely something going on. I'm also a big Swifty, so always fun to hear Elise reference deep cuts like Mirrorball. That's definitely Odo's song. <laughs> and finally, I'm unfortunately not a lawyer who can help answer your legal questions, but I am a journalist who will be happy to share some of my thoughts on Jake Sisko's budding journalism career when you're there later on. I don't think that's too much of a spoiler to say. Love the pod. Can't wait to hear more. Hope everybody is having an excellent week. Lauren A. Thank you so much, Lauren. This is really wonderful. Yeah, thank you. That was awesome. Um, she's awesome. emailed. Sorry, I do. I do not know um, Lauren's pronouns, but they've um, included some other emails, which I'll share with you, Matt. But there's some of them are for specific episodes, which makes me really happy. Nice, nice. Well, we love you, Lauren, and please yes. continue to email, and yes. please continue to listen, and please continue to 
prophetize star trek deep space nine everyone should listen to it i mean and wa- i meant watch it i don't think everyone should listen to our podcast i mean I, definitely- I think everyone i think everyone should listen to it um you know for both deep and irreverent thoughts right. or you know deep and irrelevant thoughts depending on on who you ask but they're they're real to me right so yes <sighs> I'm still laughing at irrelevant. Yeah. So So we'll start the body of this episode the same way we start most of our episodes. Elise, did you or did you not remember episode three, The Visitor? I remembered it in concept. I didn't remember the specifics. I did remember that we have um, Tony Todd as the guest star and that... I think I remembered more that Cisco was just like dead. Not I didn't remember like mm. the phasing part mm. of it. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a really interesting episode and like it in the like broader picture of like nineties, early two thousands era of Star Trek, there's always like these couple where it feels like a very special episode that doesn't totally kind of it just does something different. Um Another one being from folks might familiar with Next Generation might be familiar with the episode The Inner Light, which, again, not exactly the same episode, but again, does something like a little bit similar um, with a primarily like different cast. I mean, that you have Patrick Stewart as like the content of the series regular, but this episode being a Jake episode and like an older Jake episode they didn't, you know, age up or put the weight of that on 18-year-old Sarah Lofton. They brought in a guest actor, Tony Todd, to play the various phases of adult Jake and his in the stages of his life. And then ultimately to be like the narrator of the episode, kind of catching the audience up and Melanie played by um rachel rachel robinson more on on her later um as like the audience surrogate and i think tony todd does yeoman's work in this episode i think he's really really good um star trek alum he plays kern Worf's uh brother on star trek the next generation and folks will probably recognize his voice from the original uh candy movies and yeah he he puts this episode on his back and carries it through and he's a guest star in basically like a one-shot role or version of this character and if if that performance isn't in this and it's a different performance, I don't know if this episode is as powerful and impactful as it is. Yeah, I I am really happy that they didn't do like age makeup and try to make Sirach Lofton to be in his 70s um, in this episode. I just think that at least in this point of the show, and this is not a knock on him but he's such a like a teenager to me in this role that it just like yeah. i don't think it would have worked for me well even his voice right like i'm sure he could have like tried to make it like sound older and everything else yeah but i don't yep. know if at like 18 20 or whatever you have the life experience to like carry that same kind of gravitas with age right for sure like... and obviously they age up tony todd a, a, yes, a bit yes, of as well um, I don't know how old the actor was when he did this role but he was definitely um, more adult I'm actually kind of looking it up out of curiosity well and even like the physical 
Yeah. And I mean, as you're doing that, I'll like, um, what's it called? Scratch or scramble or like, oh, I can't even think of the word. Fill in time. Um, <laughs> but it re- it reminded like the way that like Tony Todd, when he is like the elder Jake um, in the, the framing narrative, the way he like alters his movement um, where like he moves like someone who's older as yeah. opposed to like moving like very you know, spryly 30 year old yeah in in the older makeup it's it's like the reverse of the de-aging technology in the irishman where you have robert <laughs> de niro playing 20 year old robert yeah. de niro and he's like beating the guy in the streets and he's moving like he's in his 70s yeah um, it's like i have opposite of that i haven't seen that but i have heard that like it it kind of is awkward because he's still in the body of an older man um, yeah. Tony Todd is 24 years older than Sirach Lofton. So I, th- I think that was a really good call um, to, to uh, come around on my research. <laughs> Writer Michael Taylor for this episode based the concept of the visitor, um, of the idea of a fan visiting this reclusive writer figure um, who hadn't published in years and years, based on the ni- the famous 1980 interview given by J.D. Salinger, the author of Catcher in the Rye, with a high, stu- high school student who simply, like, turned up at his door, found him. There's this whole, again, he, like, wrote this, like, seminal, like, novel of the time and then stopped writing and, you know went to live his life off the grid and this high school student found him and then interviewed him in 1980. And that was the, the Genesis, the kernel of what would become (laughs) the visitor. Um, I want, I just want to say that knowing that it is like a high school student that interviewed JD Salinger kind of is funny to me because throughout the episode, and this is just, I don't know if I'm the only one that saw this, but, like, I felt that Melanie and adult Jake Sisko's interactions were very intimate, and it, they made, it made me, like, uncomfortable. Like, this was not intentional. I don't think it was, um, I don't think it was, like, meant to be this way, but, like, there's parts where he, like, touches her hair, and, like, he's... They're talking very close, and there's, like, a cheek kiss moment later, and it just feels very almost romantic to me, and it grosses me out a little bit. Um, I know that this is something I'm reading into it, and knowing that it was based on this, like, high school student showing up at J.D. Salinger, which I I don't think Melanie in the episode is supposed to be a high school student, I, but it just, it's a little weird. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I I looked it up, and Rachel Robinson is in her, her early twenties. I think right. she's like actually like probably right on twenty at least when this episode airs. I don't know when they filmed it. Um, so like definitely got older than high school like vibes, kind of like you know that whole backpacking through Europe, university, college age, finding herself. But she goes to the Bayou instead. Um, <laughs> also, fun fact, um, Rachel Robinson, folks might recognize that last name, is the daughter of Andrew Robinson, who plays Garrick, and, you know, ad- auditioned for the role. They looked at several young young actors for the role, and she ended up being the, the most successful. And I think she's actually really good in this episode. And Ira even has a quote where he said Andy was, was really proud of her, and by right... And it was rightfully so. She was really good in this episode. So 
Yeah, I really liked her performance as well. It was just more the like intimacy between the two characters kind of didn't make any sense to me since this was supposed to be a stranger that was coming to his house. I don't know. That's fine. I yeah, I, I got over it pretty quickly. It wasn't like it didn't ruin the episode for me or anything. Yeah, I and I think part of it is again she's the audience surrogate, so we have an intimacy with the character, and like obviously Jake has made like when the episode opens, it's when he injects himself with the hypospray or whatever, um, with the the chemical cocktail to, um, commit suicide basically to yeah. to cut to I guess to jump right to the end here, but to to cut the tether to give his younger self the opportunity to grow up more with his father. And like, I think that as he's looking back and like in certain headspace, again, not, not excusing, you know, things in the context of, of your read, but um, he even says he, he'd like kick her away if it was a different day, but because it was this day, blah, 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 blah. So right, right. yeah, no, I, I definitely, I, I see and I understand your read. That's not, necessarily mine but then again it's like when we're talking about unwanted touch and things like this why do we give seniors the benefit of the doubt just because they're old like yeah. you know what i mean and That's i will not be cool honest either so within the episode melanie did not seem uncomfortable at all so i don't think it was like yeah. unwanted or anything like that i just think it was just weird to me like if i was in that situation i'd be like let's go to the coffee shop and have this conversation <laughs> yeah yeah it definitely has that whole like grandfatherly vibes but right. then also it's like she's right. not his grandfather yeah, yeah no i yeah i don't i don't want to spend too no, much more time I'm, going down that rabbit hole but sure. it's definitely a definitely valid read and and, and worth mentioning so, so thank a, you yeah. for bringing that up so there's a couple other things i wanted to mention um O'Brien was actually supposed to be in this episode in the scene set in the future but cole meany was unavailable um and Renee Echeverria, who had actually uncredited, did like an, some uncredited re- rewrites on this episode. Uncredited rewrites. I couldn't say the word rewrite. Um, he was pretty disappointed about it because it would make sense for O'Brien to like be around still. Um, so it would have been so some of the like some of the bits where, you know, Julian and Dex are like bickering a little bit like O'Brien should have been in there as well. They did actually have to reorganize the season a little bit. So even though this episode came, I think this episode was supposed to be next, but because Cole Meany wasn't available, they filmed this one without him. And then I don't know, I don't remember what the next episode is, but he came back and did that episode. And one other thing at the beginning of this episode, we see we see it really quick, and I didn't really notice it until I was researching, but Kira gets a new uniform in this episode. Um, and a lot of people were thinking at the time that they were trying to make her um, a little bit sexier or something with her new costume, but in reality, she was able to move around better in it, and it was more comfortable for her. So I think that's kind of interesting that people project onto uh, the character and and the actor what they think. Well, and in fairness too, you look at the history of women in this era of of Star Trek and right. the idea of like the cat suit and everything else. Oh yeah, it's I'm like rewatching. Like I'm rewatching TNG. Like Deanna looks like she cannot breathe in any in any scene. <laughs> 
Uh, I mean, and then again, if, if later on to jump kind of further ahead in like the production timeline of like this era of Star Trek, like Jerry Ryan of Seven of Nine and that cat suit was like not not great, Bob. Yeah, it was like, and, the exact opposite of of right. giving Nana visitor more comfort and room to move. Yeah, right? and I think so. it gets even worse with um, T'Pol in Enterprise. Yeah, actually, uh, that not to go too far down that rabbit hole, but it's just like. Yeah, it's spoilers for Enterprise, but I can never get over the fact that when T'Pol leaves the Vulcan High Command and, like, gets a field commission to Starfleet, they don't just put her in, like, the Starfleet uniform. They have to give her, like, the same cat suit with the Star Trek, or with the Starfleet patches on. It's just so fucking dumb. Well, to go even further on that, because this is something that, that always bothered me, like, she wears, like, the skimpiest pajamas, and it's in that show and it's so funny she's always wearing like full pajama like it's like pajama shorts and then like a cropped button up like pajama shirt and i'm like that does not look comfortable it's like half a crop top it's like half a crop top it's ridiculous love to pull but yeah her outfits don't look comfortable ever yeah that's i mean like that's enterprise is such like an interesting time capsule of like <laughs> early 2000s culture yes like star trek via early 2000s like cultural lens and even the fact that it's like the decontempt like the quote-unquote more like overt horniness of enterprise just feels so like late 90s early 2000s like frat boy i mean if you like, think it's like, oh we're on it. cable now oh yeah. i mean the oh. whole the, oh. the whole like especially for me the part when um Trip like can't sleep or whatever. Like this whole plot line where the Trip, Vulcan like, neural pressure. So so the, the doctor's like, why don't you get this Vulcan neuro pressure from to pull and then just have them both be like in their pajamas. That's where you like see her pajamas so often. <laughs> just so ridiculous. Enter romance. Don't get romance. me wrong, I love Enterprise. So one thing I found interesting if you're ready to move on, was the difference in how Jake lived his adult life without his father before he knew that his father was going to visit him every so often and after he knew his father was going to visit him every so often. Yeah. Yeah. It's... Yeah. It's interesting because they show at the beginning of the episode the... um, when they're going on the Defiant at first. I guess he wanted his... Ben's always, like, trying to show Jake some cool thing that's happening in space. I don't even remember what it was in this instance, but this is not the first time that they've done this. Um, I remember the episode where they built that, um, that like, old Bajoran thing with the flaps to try to see if they the can get solar, to... The, the solar, solar thing. thing. Yeah, like, so they're, yeah, they're constantly the doing cool stuff just to, like, see what it looked like. Um, but Jake is really wrapped up in his short story and I just felt really, that felt really relatable to me because when I'm like focused on something, I can't really do anything else. Um, like this morning when my coffee maker didn't work, I spent all morning like Googling how to fix it and also new coffee makers in case I needed to buy one. And then instead of eating breakfast and showering like that is what I did this morning and it's like I can't not to get too into like Elisa's hyper fixations but I just feel really it just felt really relevant to me and like related to my life that I just get the same way as Jake 
one thing I didn't remember from this episode was that Ben didn't just die. He just disappeared. So it seems to me like I would be completely unsettled if like, you know, my dad just disappeared right in front of me and everyone was like, oh, he's dead now, I guess. <laughs> like that yeah. was no wonder he didn't move on, honestly. I can't remember the context in which I heard this this week. I don't remember if it was like a podcast or like something on a show or like a movie I watched or whatever. But regardless, apologies to whatever thing I consumed that I just remembered this point, but I can't remember the context. Um, that losing a parent that young um, kind of erratic, like dramatically changes you forever right and like thinking about in the context of my own life and my own life experience your late teens early 20s is that period where you start to see your parents differently and kind of see them as see them in their full humanity right good bad or indifferent as kind of you know the the flawed human beings that everyone ultimately is and not you know that kind of like superhero sort of mentality that you may or may not have them as a child when they're they're raising you and you have a child's brain um so i can't i can't imagine what losing a parent at that age and not being able to have gone through that process and it's like they they yeah just not to have gone through that process and it's like my relationship with my parents ended here and didn't continue to develop. And as I became an adult, I didn't see them as like, you know, a flawed adult and like the ways in which in this context, Jake, but like anyone like must carry that around. And I think that this episode pairs really nicely thematically with Emissary, the like the pilot, the like mm-hmm. TV movie that opened the series and the whole like main thrust of that is where Cisco explains to the prophets the idea of like linear time when they don't understand it because they keep saying that Ben exists here, here being when Jennifer died during the the Battle of Wolf 359. And it's I think they're both episodes are an exploration of grief and how it shapes us, how it can overwhelm us, how we still live in those moments. Um an idea of like existing in your moment of grief forever. And like Jake even says to to Melanie, it's like Melanie's like, I don't know how I could ever get over seeing like, you know, my parent die in front of me like that. He's like, Oh, people do. Time goes on, people heal. And Melanie's like, Did that happen to you? And Jake chuckles and says, No. Right? So Yeah. Um Heavy stuff. It's hard for me to think about because my dad experienced this um and it's not it's something we don't really talk about that much so i feel like i shy away from from these kind of conversations which i don't think i should um like when it comes to death and grief like i tend to make jokes instead of like actually thinking about it but yeah my my feels very jewish of you very very new york (laughs) greater area metro area jewish of you yeah well you know you've known me for many years now and i love to make a joke when it, it should be serious um or like whatever but yeah my 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 dad's mother died when he was 16 and i cannot and my my dad just turned 71 you know i can't imagine having like all of those years 
of your life like without your mom like i obviously your your his mom was not going wouldn't still be alive now but like it's just crazy to me it's just something i think about but i don't it's hard for me to see like i'm obviously not in his head or anything <laughs> but like i don't know it's it, like i sometimes forget that that was his experience when i interact with him you know what i mean and yeah. it like yeah I don't know. Now I'm thinking about how it's easier to be mindful of things that happened while we were alive than to be mindful about things that happened before we were around because I didn't experience it too, you know? Not directly, but like in the ways that like we carry our experiences forward, like in a way like it also like shaped you and even like bringing it back to the like episode as the example of my point instead of you know talking about you and your relationship with your father um Wait, you don't like, like when i get when... when i like start to i'm just joking <laughs> when i start to no like, i I I, I I I really do i'm just being <laughs> cognizant of i don't like you know what i mean i don't want no yeah i you didn't... to disclose no 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 more I, than you want i was to. i was done talking about it anyway like i was i didn't have yeah. more to say about it but it was just funny your phrasing <laughs> No, I mean, it's just because, again, like, no, yeah, it's me continue. trying to loop, loop, back, loop back to the topic, but also, yeah, no, like, you as I'm that. thinking out loud, I don't want to, like, I want to, for the sake of the podcast, use my, not that I don't have empathy for you, but use my empathy towards talking about the characters and oh, what no, I see yeah, and, like, you should be what I analyze that. instead yeah. of, like, us going further down that rabbit hole and no. then, you know, we can, I was we can talk about just, that later. I was literally just teasing you. You're doing Wait, it. you made a joke when something was getting serious? Anyway, <laughs> what were you saying? <laughs> okay. Um, no, that when um, the first time that Ben appears at the, the house in the bayou after Anselm and the collected stories have been published and, and Jake's married to Karina, is that, is that her name? Her um, name is... It's like Karenna. 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 Who seems lovely. Yeah, she seems great. Um, when Jake is breaking down and Ben just looks at her and she like understands. So like that, that's the point where it's like Jake's been carrying that with them and she knows Jake and like knows when to, you know, give them that time and whatever. So yeah, it's like, even though we can't relate to experiences people we've loved have had before we are either alive or we're in their lives. Um, we can have some insight into what what they carry and like ultimately not to get too like romanticism galaxy brain about it but that's why we are social beings and like seek community and like whether it's blood family or even in the case of like this episode and I think one of the other powerful things for me is the kind of found family aspect and whether it's Dax or Kira or like any of the other um mm-hmm. Bashir like any of the other Quark even um this was the nicest I've in- ever seen Quark act ever in any episode like the way he like tells Nog that he doesn't have to work or whatever so that he can go like have fun with with Jake who's like hurting like that was the nicest he's ever been yeah Quark Quark, who he performs to be and who he actually is, is is so like, yep, 
diametrically opposed at times and it's like yeah that's that's why i like discussing like the ferengi episode specifically because it's like yeah a lot of them like are very dated in a lot of ways but like it's uh, it's like the shrek thing right where like ogres are like onions they have layers it's like quark has layers layers um but yeah that felt worth the way they kind of like rally around jake and stuff too and give him until the geopolitical situation with the Klingons changes, give him <laughs> the own agency to decide to stay and like, you know, grieve in his, his own way in this whole process. Like, and that, that support, like that's, that's why we look for community. That's why we look for relationship and family. Cause it's about not carrying that load alone. And I think that's some of the heaviness of this episode is like, so much of that is like, Jake's not able to. And again, they're extenuating like, science fiction circumstances as to why but like he's not able to relieve himself or like kind of reach that kind of acceptance stage of grieving because it turns out his father is stuck in some subspace time bottle bubble timey wimey thing i to go back to the found family aspect that you're talking about i i know we don't see it but i can imagine that the conversation where older jake like tries to get nog dax and bashir to like recreate what happened all those years ago i'm sure they said yes immediately like i'm and that's probably why we didn't need to see that scene like because they are there for him whether they think it's going to work or not and i think that that is really nice but if we had seen it, I'm sure there would have been this big emotional moment where everyone was on the bridge of the Defiant again for the first time. Yes. <laughs> they would have had to. Well, see, they would have. So th- <laughs> my head canon is that O'Brien is there, not just not in the scene, because Dax is like, oh, yeah, nothing was working on this except for the replicator. Like, obviously, Dax is great and Bashir's great, but like O'Brien's probably clinking away in the background fixing shit up for them so it's interesting to think about you know we just went through all of what jack what jack i don't know who the fuck jack is we just Uh, i mean i think we know who jack is if you're watching star trek picard but (laughs) no that's the guy from downton abbey um he played like one of the footmen later on we have discussed you know we don't have time for me to go into my thomas feelings let's just move on sorry apologies and agreed with thomas feelings i'm sure um, we talked a lot about, you know, what Jake has gone through um, and how he's acting. As soon as he realized that he, after his father visited him when he was married, like seven years after his he was married, he was like gonna hyper fixate on trying to get his dad back. And I keep thinking about how, what if he got his dad back at that that time and it would have been like interesting because they would have been around the same age maybe or like his dad would have been like they would have been around the same age i feel like i don't remember how old he was when they were trying to recreate it i think he was probably even maybe older a little bit older yeah Yeah. and like but he's like definitely older at the end right and like it's interesting to me seeing this because jake is really trying to happen but like that wouldn't that wouldn't be right for, for Jake to be older than his dad. Like, it doesn't... Like, it would be a weird dynamic. And the way that Ben is experiencing time is so different because he's not really experiencing time at all. He's stuck. And he just 
wants to see every time he flashes back he just wants to see that jake is happy and living his life and he doesn't want jake wasting his time um because and even in the moment when he visits him and jake's like i have to go call starfleet like your wife can handle that part like just you don't know how long you have you should be spending the time with your father and then once he finally like once it finally hits him that he his dad is sitting right there and it's that scene where jake breaks down crying like that is i lost it i definitely was crying for that whole scene and especially where karena told cisco how they got married in his dad's restaurant and i think it was really important to show to tell ben that and to show him the books that jake made so he saw his life um what has been happening in his life and then it's just so sad to me that the next time he comes and visits you know Jake has been focusing so much on trying to get his dad back that he stopped writing he lost his wife got frustrated with him and left and I I, from everything that we're seeing I don't blame her and it's just not what Ben wanted for him at all and it's just really heartbreaking to see for me one thing that I wanted to highlight um for this episode, especially since Matt and I are two white people, and um, this show has a captain and who is a single father who's a black man, and this show is often touted as showing a really wonderful, like, single father relationship, and I think that this is something that's really important. And so I found this quote from Avery Brooks because he believes that this, or he was quoted in the Deep Space Nine companion saying how he believes that this episode is one of the ones that really showed um, non-white families in in a positive way. So Brooks says, I'm glad the relationship is there. It is, even in the most naive mind, a sin of omission that we have not looked at this side of people raising their children in other television shows and having some cultural resonance other than that of white Americans. It's something that we have to see more often, the re- relationship of a brown man and his son, because historically, that's not how it began in this country for brown families who didn't have the freedom of their own will and volition, let alone the ability to hold their families together. And I, I can't say that I argue with that. I mean, it's completely true. We, I mean, you, it's just there's so many stereotypes put on, on black people in our media that it's just so nice to see, you know, a family that is functional and loving and caring. And it's part of why I love this show so much. I love listening to Avery Brooks talk. I think he's just such an interesting human being. And, like, we're getting to the point of, like, the series where the show is able to, like, have more control over itself largely um and the ways in which they let not let the ways in which avery brooks as ben cisco is just unapologetically black and how aware of that the show is because of avery mm-hmm. and and his approach to the work is just yeah it's rad yeah i mean it took all this time for them to let him have his own hairstyle and facial hairstyle like this is how he presents they being the studio not the not the show correct correct yes yeah yes this 
agreed. The studio, it wasn't. Ira would have loved it immediately. Um, as we know, Ira is very big on expression <laughs> um, of yourself or oneself. Um, but yeah, like it took all this time for them to allow him to have a goatee and and a shaved head. Like it's that's ridiculous. I I will be angry about that forever. I don't really have anything else to say about the plot uh, yeah. overall, except no. for it makes sense to me that you know your parent a parent wants to see their child just be happy and succeed, and I think that that is nice. Yeah, ultimately, you could, this podcast could have been five minutes, and it could have been, <laughs> this episode is really good, I liked it, I cried, you should watch it. <laughs> That's true. We were joking about that prior to recording that it was, that we, um, yeah. <laughs> so, it's not a particularly thirsty episode, but in the sake of honesty in podcasting um now it's time for the altair water thirst quencher altair water first being mentioned by dr mccoy in star trek 3 um so do you have anything thirst quenching adjacent this week elise so yeah this is not a thirst thank you for um prompting me (laughs) there um this is definitely not a thirst quencher but i was really into grumpy older dax complaining about julian going on about his kids science projects in the way that I hope that is me when I am older Dax's age, like just teasing my friends like for telling me about their uh, their kids science projects. Although I think realistically it would be at that age, it would be like grandchildren probably. <laughs> they were pretty, yeah. uh, they looked pretty old. <laughs> Did you have anything to add to that or? I mean, again, not really thirst, but like they were totally giving like grumpy old men like odd couple vibes and yeah it was fun. um i enjoyed that as well yeah my i guess then moving on to most star trek thing um my most star trek thing is reusing future uniforms because in the when they recreate the experiment 50 years later and they're on the defiant they're wearing the future uniforms that were first made for the next generation finale all good things and they're low-key some of my favorite star trek uniforms and yeah love to see that little bit of consistency in future alternate timelines and it's also really interesting looking at those now and like you know looking at current trek because they're not too too dissimilar from the uniforms they wear on the cerritos in star Mm. trek lower decks now i'm dreaming about that cerritos jacket that i want that is 300 something dollars this this um I don't remember what website it was on, but someone some fashion company made these like jackets that were similar to the Cerritos um uniforms, and I just I really want one. But like, when would I wear that? <laughs> Probably never. Hmm. Do you have something adjacent to most Star Trek thing or a nominee for that? I do. I think um, and this really does whittle the episode down to nothing, and I am not in. That is not the point here of what I'm trying to make. But it was the fact that if everything worked out, none of the things in the episode would have happened. That feels very Star Trek to me. But I don't want to remove the heaviness from this episode when saying that. Well, I, I and what's interesting about that is like, yeah, Star Trek like does like to set the, like the reset button, but not not totally because like 
Ben will remember all of that, right? Because like obviously he knows to dodge the dodge the the beam and like yeah, he's like to Jake. Oh, I just had a feeling like so. Oh, you know what? You're right. I didn't. That didn't occur to me. So like Ben will carry that forward, and it's even um. There's a series I think we mentioned before of like relaunch novels, um, that take place like after um the series has ended and. Ben at one point when when Jake starts starts dating Karina and they end up getting married like it says in the books that Ben recognizes that that's the wife that Jake has um in the alternate timeline that that he experienced before so like that's kind of cool oh that is good because I didn't mention this earlier when we were talking about Jake but like I hope that he still marries Karina and that he doesn't ignore her this time and that they have children if they want to I have a feeling they want to. He was just, you know, busy doing things. Mm-hmm. Well, Elise, until next time, where can folks find more of you on the internet? Yes, you can find me on Twitter, Letterboxd, and Storygraph at chicken double underscore tendi. That's T-E-N-D-I. And you? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd as well at at Mattyhugh, M-A-T-T-Y-H-U-G-H. You can catch us together on Twitter and Instagram at podwraiths. And if you want to be really, really cool like Lauren, you can email us at podrace at gmail.com. Please remember to rate and review us on the podcatching system of your choice. Thank you again to our editor, Melissa, and DJ Empirical for our interstellar theme song. And until next time, computer and program. Bye. Bye.